everybody. We're back with episode 26 of Original Versus Cover. Yes. Coming to you live, all the way live, from As It Should Be Studios in Crooklyn, New York City. I'm here with my engineer extraordinaire, Dr. Paul Bertolino. Oh, shit! Oh, yeah! And uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, and uh, we're cranking it out here. So, episode 26. It's amazing. 26 episodes. Yeah. It's pretty fucking crazy. All right, so let's jump in with song number one. And it's called Take Me Home Country Roads. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you know any covers of this? Uh, yes, I do. Uh-oh. All right. I do, actually. Well, well, And we'll see if it's one of you, one I, of the ones you have. But I'll mention it after we know what your covers are. Well, I only have one cover. And I guarantee it's not the one that you are thinking of. Um, so, yes, the song was done by John Denver from his album... Poems, Prayers, and Promises from 1971. And the song was also known simply as Take Me Home or Country Roads instead of Take Me Home Country Roads. (laughs) (laughs) Take your pick, people. One out of three. Uh, It's a song written by Bill Danoff, Taffy Nivert, and John Denver about West Virginia. It was released as a single performed by Denver on April 12, 1971, peaking at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 Singles for the week, ending August 28th of 71. The song was a success on its initial release and was certified gold by the RIAA on August 18th, 1971, and then platinum the following April, or no, I'm sorry, April 2017. The song became one of John Denver's most popular and beloved songs. It's continued to sell with over 1.6 million digital copies sold in the U.S. So, people still love this. Uh, The song has a prominent status as an iconic symbol of West Virginia, which it describes as almost heaven. And in March 2014, it became one of the four official state anthems of West Virginia. Four anthems West Virginia has. Wow. I don't know why that's necessary. <laughs> like, isn't one song good enough? I don't know. I don't and know. West Virginia? No shade on West Virginia. And the cover that I have is done by Toots and the Maytals. Is that the one you were thinking? No. Nope. Okay. Uh, it's from their album Funky Kingston in 1973. Mm, wow. Who, okay. Who are you thinking? Hmm? Who was the cover you were thinking of? Tragedy! Oh, shit, that's right. <laughs> oh, my bad. And Because oh. I mean, they don't just do it live. I mean, it's on one of their albums. It is. All right. So you know what? I'm adding it right oh, now. Shit. So now it's two covers. All right. Because <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, tragedy. Okay. Well, I'll say this about the Toots and the Maytals. We all know that Paul does not like reggae music. You've made it plain. And that's fine. They did a lyric change. Ooh. To make it more Jamaican. So the first verse. They made reference to, to smoking ganja. Almost heaven, West Jamaica. True Ridge Mountains shining down the river. All my friends there, older than those ridge, younger than the mountains, blowing like a breeze. Country roads take me home to the place I belong. West Jamaica, my old mama, take me home, country Oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You do not eliminate mountain mama 
I'm sorry. Mountain Mama <laughs> is the star of the show. <laughs> you nope. cannot. He, you, wait, no Mountain Mama, no Country Roads. I'm sorry. He changed it to Old Mama. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. West Jamaica. <laughs> yeah. I'd say you're shoehorning it in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody, you know, where do you live? Oh, West Jamaica. West Jamaica. <laughs> what? If you said that in Jamaica, somebody would smack you. There's no West Jamaica. Just like there's no... Uh, the Journey song. Um, South Detroit. There's no oh, South right, Detroit. Oh, right, South Detroit, right. Yeah. So there's that. And then the tragedy... <laughs> the tragedy. <laughs> the tragedy. We're going to have to wing this one. Well, it's tragedy. And I think they do a really great job. Tragedifying. They tragified it. Um, was it a specific song that they took the arrangement from? I'm um, trying to remember. You know, I don't remember. I think that, I believe this is on their solo albums album. They they did an album where, I mean, every every I think every tragedy album kind of has a theme. Well, some of them do. Yeah. One of their albums is called solo albums, and it's where they each they present <laughs> a group of songs of each individual member. Like these four songs are the the Barry, you know, these solo songs. These, these are the, the Royce, Lance. Mo Royce solo <laughs> songs, you know, these are the Lance and so songs, on. Yeah. And so, <laughs> country uh, uh, mountain man. Oh, what's 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 Conmo's name in tragedy? Oh, um, Disco Mountain. Disco man. Mountain Man. That's yes, it. one of his solo recordings for this <laughs> is his <laughs> is cover this? of Country Road. Yeah, and and it's my you know, and the idea is, of it is to be like the Kiss solo albums. Yes, you know, and the front cover has you know each of their heads in painting form, <laughs> very in the style of the Kiss solo. With album the glowing color behind it. Yeah, 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 with colors around the edges of their hair and mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yeah, it's done very well. Yeah. It's very tongue-in-cheek and awesome. So uh, we're going to listen to these and then come back with a winner. <laughs> That's good. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is old there. Older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze. Country roads take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia. Yeah. 
West Jamaica. Uh, rest in peace, Mountain Mama. <laughs> so, <laughs> who's your favorite, Paul? Well, come on. John Denver all the way. John Denver, yes. Good old John Denver. Good old John Denver. I love tragedy. We love tragedy. Tragedy's fucking awesome. Uh, the Toots and the Maytals cover. <laughs> I thought, you know, the opening thing where it was kind of like a churchy vibe. And then they just go into your standard oom chicka doom daka daka which uh, it's it's reggae music. What are you gonna do? I will say that the chorus of that song does lend itself really nicely to that rhythm. Yeah, it does. Actually, like it just sits right in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet I'm you John Denver never thought of that. <laughs> I'm gonna write this song, and then in the future, somebody's gonna make. A reggae version out of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, he didn't even know what the fuck reggae was, was when he wrote that song. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I love John Denver. Love, love, love John Denver. And I love that original version. But I like the two covers, too. I can't pick a winner. Oh, wow. Because I, I love them all equally. If I were... The, the test is, if I was locked in a room... And only had those three songs to listen to for 24 hours, I would listen to all three of them. I well, yeah, so you can get a little bit of variety. <laughs> so, yeah, I couldn't, I can't kick any of them out. That's a Sophie's choice. All right, song number two is Happy Together. Ooh. And the original version was by the Turtles on their Happy Together album that came out in 1967. And I have one cover. And it's an awesome cover, done by Mel Torme. Oh shit! On his album "A Time for Us" that came out in 1969. Oh wow! It's even a one from that time. See, I thought it was going to be like some ironic mid 90s one, like Pat Boone did. Nope. Two years later, he came out with it. So happy together. Everybody knows this fucking song. Or at least they should, unless you've been in a cave, and even then you should have heard it. A song written by Gary Bonner and Alan Gordon and recorded by the Turtles. It was released as a single with the flip side. Do you know what the flip side was, Paul? Uh, you know what? I actually don't. Like the Seasons. Oh, I do know that song. February 14th, 1967, on Valentine's Day, and peaked at number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart, becoming the band's first and only chart topper there. The song also reached the top 20 in diverse countries, including number two in Canada and number 12 in the U.K., and it was included on their third studio album, Happy Together. So the initial idea for the song came to Alan Gordon at a candy store in Brooklyn, New York. Later, as members of The Magicians, a New York City-based rock and roll group, Bonner and Gordon uh, composed the rest of the song. The lyrics, despite the joyous sound of the music, express an unrequited, imagined love. They recorded two demos... One compromised a simple arrangement of acoustic guitar and hand claps, along with a second demo with more instruments recorded at Regent Sound in New York City. The second demo was produced by Richie Adams. A session musician who also claimed to have played on it states that it was more well more recorded. The demo was offered and rejected by a dozen artists due to its primitive sound. And at the same time, Bonner and Gordon also heard very positive feedback on the demo from their contemporaries. Now, the Turtles, who had come from commercial and personal problems, found the demo and, thinking the song was a potential hit, initially rehearsed it in live performances. 
They recorded their version at Sunset Sound Studio with the newly arrived bassist Chip Douglas arranging the horns and backing vocals. After the song's successful release, the band were called to perform on several TV shows like Ed Sullivan and the Smothers Brothers. Music critics have continued to praise the Turtles for its pop sensibilities. It was covered by several acts, with the most successful cover being from the soft rock duo of The Captain and Tennille. Oh, I didn't know there was a Captain and Tennille version. Yep. And featured on numerous movies and TV shows. Thus, the song is included in the list of the most performed songs in the United States of the 20th century by BMI in 1999 and in the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2007. Well, well. Yeah. Uh, Howard Kalin and Mark Volman, singers of the Turtles, were involved on various legal battles due to their attempts to copyright Happy Together against unauthorized broadcasts, notably with Sirius XM Radio. Did you know anything about that? Well, they they were having some sort of a they were having legal wrangles over the fact that a lot of people who recorded whose recordings predate 1972 weren't getting there was some sort of residuals that weren't awarded to stuff prior to 1972 and they were involved oh. in that, oh, okay. which I thought they had won. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Um, they've been in. They've been in a million fights with everybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've been. They're basically their middle names are litigation. <laughs> it's, it's just like eh. De La Soul. Uh, yeah, everybody. Um, so for people who don't know about Kalen and uh, Mark Volman, uh, they at the end of 1970 they signed on as members of the Mothers of Invention, Frank Zappa's band, and they recorded tracks on five albums, toured to support them and appeared in the film 200 Motels, a semi-documentary film directed by Frank Zappa. They were compelled to use the names Flo and Eddie, Flo being shortened from Fluorescent Leech, which was a nickname that Frank gave him, and were not allowed legal use of their own names or that of the Turtles until multiple lawsuits from that band were settled in 1985. Yep. In 1985, the name The Turtles reverted to Kalen and Volman after 15 years of litigation, as well as all the master recordings they made, thanks to Burger King, the NFL, Sony PlayStation, and countless other television advertisements and movies. The Turtles catalog remains a staple for licensing and reproduction in the 21st century. Well, all the money those guys probably spent throughout the entire 70s and into the mid 80s fighting that shit legally, like they've probably only just recouped. Barely, I'm sure. Yeah, barely, yeah. I mean, 15 years. That's a lot of shit. And just over that, that De La Soul thing went on for a couple of years, too. You know about that, right? Uh, Was it a sampled situation? Yeah, they... So, uh, it got sticky because Flo and Eddie... It was a it was a record that they kind of sampled. It's some French language, like learn how to speak French in twenty days kind of record, and it's like ooh the uh, the um the organ. Oh, it's from uh, you showed me, and they sampled the it, yeah it's a sa- yeah yeah that. So, De La Soul put this French thing on top of it, like écoutez. <laughs> so it's like, wait, hey, you stole the music we stole. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you stole that music we stole. Wait a minute. Yeah, so there was that, and that took a while. Wow, time. really? I mean, you know what? I didn't know about that. Yeah. It was uh, well, no, I think, no, wait, I'm sorry. I think now that you mentioned I do kind of remember 
the the uh, they lost soul. No, the oh boy, this is gonna have to be edited. The case, the oh, the lawsuit, the lawsuit. Thank yeah, you, that's yeah. the word. But I really wasn't aware that that string part was actually sampled from another recording. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of, if not the first, one of the first sampling cases where it was like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, and that's that's like you know, and then, any number of rap artists going after you for using the same print scream they used, right? <laughs> a million what? times in so many yeah, songs, yeah. or all the James Brown samples or the whatever. And people may remember that De La Soul because of Prince Paul, their producer. That dude, I mean, in one song it would be like twenty-five samples of stuff. But he's a fucking genius the way that he would put it together. That al- album, Three Feet High and Rising, I mean, it's insane. And then the little skits in between the songs. Did you ever did you, did you ever listen to that album? No. Nope. Um, yeah, like he sampled fucking Johnny Cash. Uh, how high is the water, Paul? Three Feet High and Rising. Like, that's how they got the name of the album from hmm. Johnny Cash song. So, All right. They were always in litigation, De La Soul, and they just won a huge case that they've been litigating for like 25,000 years to be able to get their masters back and re-release their own music. Wow. They just literally... Oh, Gesundheit. Gesundheit. Um, They just won that case literally like a month ago. And really, which started in what, like 1985? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> or like 1990 or something. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot their yeah. 90s. Um, 90s. Yeah, it just got settled. Oh, the 90s! They, it just got settled, and they just won the whole thing. So now they're starting to figure out how they're going <laughs> to... Figure out how to how you're going to recoup money spent on legal battles over the course and, of fucking 30... Thousand years. Yeah. And re-release this stuff. Like, what are they going to do? Which I think I'm happy about. Because that means that they're going to go on tour next year if the planet gets its shit together. All right, so the cover by Mel Torme. Mel Torme! Oh. It is exactly what you think it is. It is swinging. It's Mel Torme, the Velvet Fog, with his kooky cadence. And just like we talked about before with Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and people of this time period and this ilk covering rock songs, Ella Fitzgerald. You know, they can't help but make it jazzy because that's their C's. And it kind of sounds funny in a way. And then it's like they're doing it because they want to be hip and with it with the kids right? who were making fun of it. Well, that's just it. It's just kind of like, yeah. Just simply doing a Beatles song or a Turtle song or a Rolling Stones song isn't going to make the kids go, oh, man, this is really cool. <laughs> I love a- Mel Torme like my parents. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I th- yeah, it's odd, but we all know yeah. that. Yeah, and the thing is, is, who were people... A lot of records like that were made at the time, but who were they making it for? Because, yeah, the kids aren't going to go for it because the musical style, and the parents aren't going to go, ooh, cool, the Turtles. So I, who the fuck is this? Who's the target audience for this? I think the target audience was the adults, but it wasn't even like... Mel Torme sitting <laughs> at home eating dinner, having meatloaf one night, and ding! You know what? I think all the adults need to know about the turtles. <laughs> That's not what it was about. It was about, uh, let's take this contemporary song and make it my own, 
And as long as it's swinging with my regular vibe, parents aren't going to notice that much, but they're going to be like, happy together? What's this? And then their kid's going to be like, oh my god, the turtles! What have they done? What have they done? So they're either going to have a bonding moment, or it's going to separate them even more. Because it was 1969. Yes. After all. So, uh, we're going to listen to these two and and pick a winner. (laughs) Yeah, pick a winner. Imagine me and you, I do. I think about you day and about the girl you love and hold her tight so happy together if i should call you up invest a dime and you say you belong to me lose my mind imagine how the world could be so very fine so happy together the dice, it has to be, the only one for me is you, and you for me, so happy together, I can't see me loving nobody but you, for all my life, when you're with me, baby, the skies will be blue, for all my life, me and you. No matter how they toss the dice, it has to be The only one for me is you and you for me Happy together That is just all instrumentation. Yeah. I mean, uh, I love it. I mean, I get it works kind of, but I just find those types of covers of songs so boring. Just as boring as the requisite pop punk ironic cover of a song like that right so for me it's a tie because i love them both i really i've been a huge mel torme fan since i was a kid the golden smog (laughs) i saw him in concert i don't know three times at least once in vegas just so fucking great i mean Mel, mel torme was great and everything but i there's something about him that I just find just kind of like, like that he doesn't stick out to me, like he, he just sounds exactly the same as who who the fuck sings artificial flowers like it's the same voice. Oh yeah yeah yeah. You know it's yeah. It, it's like it's the same it's like the same DNA is fucking in there and it's like yeah. I get it. I just love Mel Torme and I just I love the corniness of this, you know do 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 like <laughs> it's just I just love it so it's a tie yeah. for me. Well, it's not a tie. <laughs> Take the mail tour. No, kidding, uh, kidding, what? kidding, oh, kidding, shit. kidding, kidding. Uh, of course he's kidding. Yeah. He loves the Turtles version. Yeah. I actually take the O.C. Smith version. No. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, O.C. Smith. Uh, how's that for a callback? Oh, you, you, man. you. Yeah, that's what. You like, diehards. No, um, no, but really, yeah, the Turtles. Are you yeah. Fucking kidding me. It's it's a really brilliant song and great arrangement and their vocals are so beautiful I love it I, and that's a song that's been overplayed 
Oh God, yeah, yeah. But I can still, I'd still rather listen to that than a lot of other overplayed songs. Yeah, absolutely. So great. What else was on that al- album? Do you remember? Uh, She'd rather be with me. Is on that album. Some girls. Oh, yeah. Those are the two big singles from that record. Okay. But it's full of great songs. That's one of their best albums in terms of just just, just album tracks too. You know, I mean, it's some good stuff on it. It's uh, it's good from front to back. No, it has a couple of shitty songs on it, but I mean, it's yeah, but it's but it's good. It's good. It's a good one. All right, I'm gonna listen to it on my way home. All right, song number three is "Lay Lady Lay," the original done by a Mr. Robert Zimmerman from his album Nashville Skyline that came out in 1967. That's Bob Dylan for you people who don't know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> and uh, I've got four covers of this, believe it or not. Four covers. So we got so we have five total. Five total. Got a long episode going on here. <laughs> so the first cover is the Isley Brothers from the album Giving It Back. Sound familiar? Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. Then we got Duran Duran from their album Thank You. that came out in March 1995. I'm already shaking my head, folks. Then we got Ministry. Oh, man. From Doubling their, down on my shaking head. From their album <laughs> Filth Pig. That came out in October of 1995. And then the last cover is by Mr. Isaac Hayes hmm. from a compilation called All Bluesed Up Songs of Bob Dylan that came out in 2002. Oh, okay. That's what I was going to be my question. I'm like, you usually do these chronologically. Yeah. And the last one is Isaac Hayes? 2002. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Isley's was uh, 71. So. <clears throat> this song by Bob Dylan, Lay Lady Lay. Uh, the first thing I want to say about it is that it creeps the fuck out of me. Oh, <laughs> yeah? When I was a kid and heard this on the radio, it was like a horror movie. It is a little creepy. He sounds well, like it has a, a particular. Freak. It has this particular vibe, and I think it's it's because that was originally supposed to be the theme, the, the big song from Midnight uh, uh, Cowboy. Cowboy, yeah. And they decided to go with the Nilsson track instead but but it had but if you think about it think about it with that song with that movie like oh, it totally perfect. works totally like that's exactly works. the right feel for it yeah yes but coming out of your AM radio when you're 10 years old <laughs> yeah. at nine o'clock at night when you're in bed it freaked me the fuck out um, <clears throat> so this album Nashville skyline do you have this I do do you like it? Is it one of your favorites? I'm sure I have one right. Don't mind me, I'm just pulling out my Nashville skyline. <laughs> Don't mind me. Yes. And is this a new copy? Uh, no, it's just a nice copy. Wow. This looks brand new. Yeah. No, that's actually a 69 I mean, copy. Except for a little bit of this. Really? This survived 1969 looking like this? Yeah. Holy shit. All right, so he has some songs on here, one with Johnny Cash, Girl from the North Country. A lot of people have covered that song, too, right? That's a highly yeah. highly covered song. highly covered song. I threw it all away, Peggy Day, Country Pie, One More Night, Tell Me It Isn't True, Tonight I'll Be Staying Here With You. Anyway, this is his country album. Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. And 
most of the tracks on it, he sings in this weird low croon rather than his usual nasal. And, um... Well, yeah, it's a vocal affectation, which, you know, I complain about vocal affectations a lot, but... You're okay with this? Well, no, the, the difference is, is that he's not imitating a currently in style. He's just doing a voice. He's not imitating anybody. There isn't, like, some currently in vogue style that he's aping. He's just doing this doing voice. Yeah. You know, kind of like McCartney doing... His, he's doing a vocal affectation on Get Back. Don't you want some... Like, you know. Yeah. But he's not imitating anybody. Right. Necessarily. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's weird. But uh, it's become a standard in rock circles and has been covered by numerous bands and artists over the years, including... The Birds, Ramblin' Jack Elliott, The Everly Brothers, Buddy Guy, Anthony Hamilton, Melanie, The Isley Brothers, Bob Andy, Duran Duran, The Flaming Lips, Magnet, Hoyt Axton, Angelique Kidjo, Ministry, Malar- Malaria? Malaria? <laughs> Lori Morgan, Minimal Contact, and Pete Yorn. Oh my god, Malaria, wait a minute, wait, okay, malaria. hold the presses. You know, back in the early 90s or whatever, my... my, my Friend Brent, shout out to Brent. Shout out Brent. Drink. He, uh, he, he and I used to have this running joke where we would come up with really funny like metal band names, <laughs> you know. And usually, the, the usually it would be er suffix names, you know, like oh, yeah. you know, annihilator, you know. <laughs> and we would come up with really ridiculous ones like subscriber, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> subscriber. Subscriber. I'm surprised you know. that hasn't been used. Right. That's good. Well, one of the ones we came up with, like I have a recording, there's somewhere I have a recording of us doing this, and we came up with malaria. We would have this thing, all right, we're from L.A., we are malaria. <laughs> and I, I seriously like have a recording of us fucking around oh, and saying shit. that. And, really? But there's really a band called there's malaria? There's really a band called malaria. <laughs> with an exclamation point. Well, shit, maybe there is a band called subscriber. I'm sure there is. Subscriber. That's good. You know, because it'd be exciter, you know, and all that kind of shit. Outlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, as Paul just stated, it was originally written for the soundtrack of the movie Midnight Cowboy, but was not submitted in time to be included with the finished film. Joel Whitburn said instead that the song was, quote, written for his wife, Sarah Lowndes. In a 1971 interview for which transcripts were auctioned in 2020, Dylan said the song was written for Barbara Streisand. Can you imagine that? That he wrote that that for Barbara Streisand? <laughs> can, I, can you just hear Barbara Streisand? Lady, 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 she would do something like that. But, but lyrically, how the fuck could she possibly do that. This proves that Bob Dylan did a lot of drugs. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So he attributed his, quote, new voice to having quit smoking before recording the album. But some unreleased bootleg recordings from the early 60s reveal that, in fact, Dylan had used a similar singing style before. Hmm. Don Everly of the Everly Brothers recounted in a 1986 Rolling Stone interview that Dylan performed parts of the song for them after a late 1960s appearance by the duo uh, here in New York as they were, quote, looking for songs and he was writing Lay, Lady, Lay at the time. Despite a popular story that the Everly Brothers rejected the song, 
due to uh, misunderstanding the lyrics as sexual in nature. Everly continued, he sang parts of it, and we weren't quite sure whether he was offering it to us or not. It was one of those awestruck moments. In a 1994 interview with Don Everly, further explained the encounter, stating that, quote, it really wasn't a business meeting. It wasn't that kind of atmosphere. The Everly brothers later covered the song on their EB84 album, 15 years after Dylan's initial release. Now, according to Johnny Cash, Dylan played the song first in a circle of singer-songwriters at his house outside of Nashville. Cash claimed that several other musicians also played their own new unheard songs. Drummer Kenny Buttry has said that he had difficult time coming up with a drum part for the song. Dylan had suggested bongos, while producer Bob Johnson said cowbells. In order to, quote, show them how bad their ideas were, Buttry used both instruments together. Chris Christofferson, who was working as a janitor in the studio at the time, was enlisted to hold the bongos in one hand and the cowbell in the other. Buttry moved the sole overhead drum mic over to these two new instruments. When he switches back to the drums for the choruses, the drum set sounds distant due to not being directly mic'd. The take heard on the album is the first take and is one of Buttry's own favorite performances. Have you noticed any of that? Have I noticed any of it? Listening to the song, like, to hear it, to, like, notice bongos and cowbell. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, if, if the... The way that it sounded. When it's doing, when he, you know, like, at the beginning, you know, when he's singing the initial... Well, I, I'm, I'm having trouble with verse, chorus, verse, chorus, but um, I guess it opens really with a chorus. Yeah. And then it goes into whatever colors you have, and I guess that would be the verse. And what's funny about the song is that when they're doing the chorus... It's kind of more broken down. There's, there aren't any drums, and it is like percussion instruments in the background. And then the song kicks in with a drum beat for the verse. Whatever colors you have, yeah. So that's so it's really weird like that. Yeah, you know, normally the chorus is is what kicks up. You know, right? Strange. This song was also a favorite of popular singer Madonna. And I quote. I used to listen to that one record, Lay Lady Lay, in my brother's bedroom in the basement of our house, she recalled. I'd lie on the bed and play that song and cry all the time. I was going through adolescence. I had hormones raging through my body. Don't ask me why I was crying. It's not a sad song, but that's the only record of his that I ever really listened to. How about that? Hmm. So, uh, yeah, and he's... It's slide guitar in it? Yeah, it's slide yeah. guitar, yeah. So, it's haunting to me. It's It sounds like it was recorded in a cave. It's very echoey. Right. And then it's like... Right. Reverb for days. Yeah. But like that tanky kind of reverb from that time. Right. And then his... <laughs> you sound like a droopy dog. It was me. Droopy dog. Yeah. All right. <laughs> We're going to listen to these and, uh, and pick a winner. <laughs> Lay, lady, lay Lay across my big grass bed 
Isaac Hayes track like 12 minutes long? Yeah. Okay. I was going to be disappointed if not. <laughs> if not. Uh, how long is it? <clears throat> Five minutes and 36 seconds. Oh, okay. Long See, enough. He's, 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 he's losing it then. He's not up to his usual standards. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> so it's Isaac Hayes... It's Isaac Hayes. He's got an amazing voice. Love Isaac Hayes. Written some amazing songs, instrumentals. He's a fucking legend. But when he does stuff like this, this in particular, I think it's the most egregious example of how ridiculous men can 
sound and and appear trying to trying so hard to be sexy it's he sounds like he's being a cartoon he sounds like he's making fun of himself self yes like come on baby it's too what is it it's too it's too it's too early to go home and too late to be alone so i have lay lady lay <laughs> he just like slides right into the first uh thing there but the whole preamble it's so corny and yeah like it's like a joke <clears throat> um ministry oh fuck it's ministry yeah you know what it could have been a lot worse oh yeah I how <laughs> <laughs> it could have been a lot louder it could have been a lot harder it could have been more Marilyn Manson it could have been yeah. you know what I mean like just a noise thing it could have been really shitty I will give it up to ministry for like you know the vocals are going to be that stupid wood but it was all acoustic guitar pretty much except for the weird noise in the background yeah. And in the video, it's the three of them sitting on stools playing acoustic guitars. Yeah, well, those stools don't make the music any better. <laughs> <laughs> it's still shitty. So, they're stools, two kinds of stools. They're sitting on them, and they're shit. Yes, there you go. And then the Duran Duran. Well, you Terrible. know, I, I was kind of rolling my eyes about that when you were playing that for me. That was the first one she played for me while we were off the air here. And I was kind of going, oh, she's really? Why, why does this exist? But honestly... That's the least, the least crappy. Oh no 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 mm. no 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 no. That's not true. I'm sorry. I take that back. Back it up. There's a very clear winner of the covers for me, and it's not Duran Duran. But aside from the one I'll mention, <laughs> the, Duran, the Duran Duran is one of the better ones. Let's just put it that way. Really? Of the covers, but it's not the best one. By far the best one. Isley Brothers. Isley Brothers. Yeah, by far, by yeah, far. Definitely the best cover. Yeah. Um. It's definitely the best cover by Leaps and Bounds. Yeah. I th- think that Duran Duran is terrible. Yeah, I, I don't it. think... It, well, no, I don't think it's any good, but I mean, fucking compared to Ministry and the Isaac Hayes... <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's basically, I guess, that was my... That's really what I was saying. I wasn't saying it very... In a concise way, oh. but that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right, yeah. Um, but do you like the Dylan the best? I give that to Dylan by a mile... Though the Isley Brothers version is really good. Um, the reason why I like... Well, there's a couple reasons why I like the Dylan bit one better. I mean, one, you know, that's just the... Uh, you know, that's just the one. I've always loved that track. And it's the earliest one I knew. I just It's just that sort of connection sure. to that kind of thing. Yeah. But also, I really like... I like the creepiness of it. I like, the, I like that vibe... And none of those other versions have that. Give it to you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because the Isley Brothers, which is the best cover, is again like a folk band with Ronald singing. Yeah. And it can't not be sexy and soulful because it's fucking Ronald Isley singing it. And he's not trying too hard, but going, hey, baby. <laughs> Lay down my big brass bed. Like, we don't know that's a metaphor for your cock. All right. Uh, yeah, so I have to say my favorite of all of them is the Isley Brothers because that Bob Dylan original, I don't, it creeps me out. I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, if you never liked it to begin with, yeah. then you're not going to choose it. No. But, uh... No, sir. 
I don't like it. All right, song number four is Backdoor Man. And the original was done by Howlin' Wolf. Hey, baby. <laughs> on his album, Howlin' Wolf, that came out in 1962. His real name is Chester Arthur Burnett. And I have one cover of this, and it's The Doors. All right, so the Howlin' Wolf, as is with a lot of these old blues Singers, players, songwriters, songwriters. Yeah, uh, this was covered like by a bunch of people. Oh, but yeah. the excuse me, the main problem is that you know they weren't unless it was chess or somebody. They would just record wherever the hell, not really making an album the way that you would make one, and then come along and somebody's like ah, i want to release those songs and then put it together and make an album of it like they they didn't intentionally go into a studio and say i'm recording an album with these 10 songs and they recorded it songs as they came up come up and yeah. in different cities with different people or whatever and then somebody's like oh let's put them all together and make a record so this uh howlin wolf album is the second studio album from the chicago blues singer guitarist harmonicist Howlin' Wolf. It's a collection of 12 singles previously released by the Chess label from 1960 to 62. And because of the illustration on the sleeve, it's this uh, weird... It's a white woman. It's <laughs> <laughs> a white woman. That was another one. Um, no, it's this 60s style illustration of a rocking chair with a guitar on it or something. So a lot of people call it the Rockin' Chair album. So... A nickname even added on the cover of some reissue pressings. So in 1966, fellow chess artist Coco Taylor recorded a cover version of Wang Dang Doodle, which reached number four and was a minor crossover hit. In uh, 63, Sam Cooke re- released uh, Little Red Rooster. So these are songs that, you know, this guy wrote. And then um, in 1966, Cream recorded Spoonful on their debut album, Fresh Cream including a live 17-minute version on their album Wheels on Fire. And uh, Shake For Me and Backdoor Man were used in the lyrics by Led Zeppelin in A Whole Lot of Love. Everybody knows that. Shake for me, girl. Right. Well, I everybody knows that Led Zeppelin was yeah. stealing that shit. Of course. Like, left and right. Left and right. And in 1985, this album won a Blues Music Award by the Blues Foundation for Classics of Blues Recordings album. Um... It was ranked number 238 on the Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time and described as, quote, an outrageous set of sex songs written by Willie Dixon. (laughs) It was named the third greatest guitar album of all time by Mojo magazine in 2004. So it's Howlin' Wolf. He sounds like he's got a frog in his throat, quite literally. And uh, it's a classic blues song, you know. It's, uh... And the song, for people who don't know, this has been misconstrued by a lot of people thinking that Backdoor Man has something to do with anal sex. But it does not. It has to do with you are having an affair with a woman, and the husband comes home, and you run out the back door. That's what makes you a backdoor man. It's not... Right. Although, when Robert Plant was saying it, he probably was thinking anal sex. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That 16-year-old girl down in the audience, yeah, I'm going to be your backdoor man tonight. Oh, yeah. Yes. 
Uh, right. So then The Doors, they covered it on their self-titled debut, The Doors, in 1967. Um, Robbie Krieger introduced the other members of the group to a blues rock adaptation version of the song recorded by John Hammond Jr. for his 1964 album, Big City Blues. The Doors version also incorporates elements of psychedelic blues and hard rock. John Densmore, the drummer, described it as a song that is, quote, deeply sexual and got everyone moving. Unlike Howlin' Wolf's one chord arrangement, The Doors utilize a different approach. Critic Bill Janovitz described it as a thumping rhythmic approach. Uh, they vary the chords in a 12-bar blue arrangement, which serves as a great tension and release pattern. Jim Morrison provides the vocal, backed by Ray Manzarek on keyboards, Krieger on guitar, Densmore on drums. Krieger asserts that he played bass guitar for the recording. I don't know. Is um, there even is there bass on that track? I can't hear it. I'd have to go back and listen. I've never listened for that because some some of the studio tracks have actually actually have bass guitar, um, yeah. and they're invariably played by some you know studio musician that they have brought in. But a lot of times, also. Ray's playing it on his keyboard, which is right. what he always did live. Mm. I don't know. I never really noticed with that song if that was a keyboard bass or a bass bass. Who are the bass players they would bring in? I mean, who would they bring in? I don't know. I'm, would they bring in, like, Joe Osborne and guys like that, maybe? Oh, really? Okay. I, I, I don't know. Interesting. A live recording of the song appears as part of a medley on the Doors live album, Absolutely Live, uh, that came out in 1970. All right, so we're going to listen to both of these and then pick a winner.
you pick? The Doors. The Doors. Yeah, I mean The Doors, because I, I feel like that, that version is just really... Well, one, it's the version I always knew, right. and I really like The Doors, but also it's distinct. Like, when you hear that, you know what that is. Yeah, sorry, Howlin' Wolf, but until the voice comes in, that could be a hundred different things. Right. And it only lasts two minutes and 49 seconds, that Howlin' Wolf, even though it feels like it's 15 minutes long. That's why I don't like real, like straight-up real blues, because it's just too... It's just the same shit over and over again, and it just kind of... Drony. Yeah, Dirty. Yeah, and... It, the the format the, the 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 arrangements are always the same and it's just you know repeat the repeat the line twice and eh, you know yeah it can be boring uh, I like the Doors much better as well yeah. I agree with you there it's it's just like it's they they like made a song out of it yeah you know kind of like Elton John making a song out of Lucy and the Sky with Diamonds, Diamonds. you know it's just like eh, there's just more meat there you yes, know yes exactly that's a really great analogy. I concur. All right, song number four is Changes. The original version was done by Black Sabbath. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, man, and I hope I know what the cover oh, is. Oh, oh, we, we, we We should be being looked down on Well, by the man himself. Well, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, from their album Volume 4 that came out in 1972. And I have I have two covers of this. Oh, two. Really. But I'm only going to play one of them. And that is by Charles Bradley. Oh, shit! Yes, from his yes. album Changes that came out in 2016. So, a little backstory for people who are not familiar with The Sabbath. And a little backdoor story. A little backdoor story. So, the songs... So, this song opens up with this piano medley in the beginning. And to me, the first time I heard it, I thought, is some, like, 10-year-old kid playing this at a recital with his feet? What is this? And it was composed by guitarist Tony Iommi, Ow. who was experimenting with the instrument in the studio. The lyrics were by the bassist Giza Butler, and vocalist Ozzy Osbourne has referred to the song as heartbreaking quite different from Sabbath's previous work, the song was described as a, quote, forlornly pretty ballad by critic Barney Hoskins. It was inspired mainly by drummer Bill Ward's breakup with his first wife. Mm. We certainly... We're certainly not going to get any less heavy, Osborne promised in 1972. We will probably do changes on stage with a Mellotron, but we'll never take strings on stage with us or anything like that. <laughs> and the band first performed it live in 1973. So, yes, this kooky Mellotron thing in the background, it's weird. So the other cover, he covered it with his daughter Kelly Osborne from uh -huh. her album Shut Up. Uh, that's some advice they should be taking. Right. Uh, three decades later. Um, that came out in December of 2003. And it reflects the moments of their life together. I guess they were thinking, well, if Natalie Cole and Nat King Cole can do it, so can we. 
Well, shouldn't Kelly have waited until her dad was no longer around and she needed a few other bucks? Well, she doesn't have that kind of time. So, um, this is the second father-daughter duet to top the chart after Frank and Nancy Sinatra's Something Stupid in 1967. Wait, that topped the chart? Uh, it was number one in the UK singles chart. Oh, in the UK, okay. Yeah, not here. That explains that. Um, <laughs> it also reached the top 20 in Germany, Ireland, and Norway. According to the Ozzy Osbourne official website, the single sold over one million copies. So I guess Sharon was typing that up. <clears throat> Jeez, I, honestly, I'm, I'm only just learning of the existence of this track. Yeah. The version of the song was number 27 on the 50 worst songs of the zeros <laughs> list. Now that I'll buy. In a 2009 Village Voice article. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, yeah, so Charles Bradley... You want to give a little background on Charles Bradley, Paul? Well, for the for the uninitiated, Charles Bradley is uh, a guy who got sort of sort of discovered, I guess, by the the Daptone guys. Uh, he was living here in Brooklyn, but I mean, he he where, where is he from? I forgot where he's from, but he's he's not he's not from New York, but he moved to New York at some point. He, like he basically was an older guy who had spent his whole life being you know going from shitty low-paying job to shitty low-paying job and just had a really crappy life, you know, dishwashing or whatever the fuck. And he had this this James Brown cover band that he started where he was doing James Brown. He'd wear the wig, he did the whole thing, and it was called Black Velvet. And he was playing here in Brooklyn and he would do his shtick here for years. And yeah, the Daptone guys discovered him and they started making records with him. I mean, he put out his first record as Charles Bradley, his own name, making his own music with his, you know, his own original songs when he was in his 50s. Yeah. And uh, and he exploded, he became, instantly became big, Huge. you know. And, uh, yeah, this this album that it's on is from his third and final album before he died, so. Yep. And this song, the original version, well, let's listen to him first and then we'll talk about it.
Go. All right. So just to clarify, that cover version with Ozzy and Kelly is not an official song for this this uh, episode. I just wanted to mention that it existed. And I did not. Hence, you're not hearing it. <laughs> that's in the, why in you the didn't hear it. There. Yeah, um, I did not want to torture Paul anymore than <laughs> he's been. He's been tortured. So, and, or you, <laughs> the listener. So, if you have a morbid curiosity, go listen to her album, and you'll hear it. And you will not thank me later. So, this Charles Bradley cover. I mean, what the fuck, man? It's like he wrote it himself. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he lived that song. Yes, he lived that song inside out and upside down. And he gives the little preamble. Oh, God, it's just so good. Yeah. Gospely, painful, sad, melancholy, like just tearing his heart out. Yeah, and and, and Infinity has seen the video. Oh, my God. Yeah, you got to watch the video, people. Charles Bradley. We're not even going to describe or talk about the video. Yeah. Go to YouTube, type in Charles Bradley changes, and watch the video and watch the whole fucking thing. Yes, from yeah, it's just wow. And I only saw him once live. You saw him yeah. a bunch of times, right? Wasn't that yeah that that was not the best of. We saw him at Lincoln Center, and yeah. we were really far away, and uh, God, yeah. Yeah, but it was still. It was great. It but was still great. Like I mean, but I'm t- I'm telling you, man. Like I've been like getting. I've been at pianos, getting his sweat on me, and it's just like it's just a whole other, whole other thing. You yeah, know? just so fucking incredible. And then we we went to that that record release thing at that weird bar in Brooklyn. <laughs> We're in Brooklyn. That, um, that we went to when when we got that Polaroid taken with him. Oh, that's Lee. Fe- Lee. Fields. Oh, that was Lee. Oh, all right. Sorry. Ah, you know they all look the same. Yeah, same old black guys. Whatever. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, that's Lee Fields. But Lee Fields is part of that same co- sort of crew in a way. You yeah, know, that same vibe. Yeah. And yeah. check him out too, people. Lee Fields. He's great too. Um, but yeah, Charles Bradley passed away sadly. Yeah, I mean he was he was sick. I think he was sick when he recorded that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a cancer. Yeah. Yeah course bummer all right so charles bradley wins that yeah by a mile and and oh and i'll say you know they're that that cover is so good that metal guys i know who like live and die by black sabbath are like that destroys the black sabbath Sabbath version version? you know literally yeah like uh dr fuck whom i've talked about he has a youtube channel he's he's black sabbath is his favorite band his favorite band Worships Black Sabbath, especially '70s Black Sabbath. He's a dyed in the wool metal guy, and he's like, "This Charles Bradley guy wiped the floor with Black Sabbath." <laughs> <laughs> he totally did, yeah. man. It's a it's a thing to behold. All right, song number five is "Papa Don't Preach," Paul's favorite Madonna song, Yay. and it came out on her album "True Blue" in 1986. And I have one cover of this. And it's done by Kelly Osbourne. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Just when I thought I had skipped around the Ottomans. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Um, yes, from that album called Shut Up that came out in 2002. So, Madonna, everybody's heard this song. And uh, it's the one with the with the uh, string section in the beginning. That's, uh, it's like a fugue. I'm trying to think of what classical musician it is. 
Mendelssohn, maybe. Yeah, it sounds very Mendelssohn in the beginning. But anyhow, uh, the song was written by Brian Elliott with additional lyrics by Madonna, who produced it with Stephen Bray, uh, one of her big producers that she used at that time. Um, the song is also remixed here and there, another compilation, yada yada. So the song's musical style combines pop and classical styling, and its lyrics deal with teenage pregnancy and the choices that come with it. It was based on teen gossip Elliot, on teen gossip that Elliot heard outside of his recording studio. So he had a recording studio here in Brooklyn that had a window that faced the sidewalk, and these girls that were at the neighborhood Catholic school would stand outside of their smoking, <laughs> you know, being bad, Ooh. and talking about their shit, and this was a conversation he overheard and then wrote the song. Ah. Yeah. Which I think is pretty interesting. Um... It was released, uh, the album's second single, in mid-1986. It became her fourth number one single on the Billboard Hot 100, performed well internationally. Um, people may remember the video because she changed her look again for, I think that was maybe the second time or third time she changed her look from the jump, where she had the, uh, the gamine look. So she had a short haircut, uh, blonde, with uh, black roots, platinum blonde. It was cropped like... Audrey Hepburn, like Mia Farrow, that short thing. Um, her body was toned and muscular, and she danced. She did the dancing part in some black box with a bustier and uh, cigarette pants on, which was very gamine looking from the 60s. And then the rest of the video, she was a teenage girl, <laughs> and her father was Danny Aiello. And so they shot these scenes in a house where, you know, it's just the two of them. Obviously, the mother died. They're good Catholics. Right, you know, right. Danny Aiello's genuflecting in front of the mom's picture with candles <laughs> right. and the mother Mary and all that. And so, again, because it's Madonna, this song was a huge controversy with the right because they misconstrued the song as Madonna telling girls to run out and get pregnant. Which well, is of the absolute last thing Madonna was telling girls to do. She was saying, be a hua, like me. Right. Um, be a boy toy, like me. She wasn't saying, run out and get pregnant. As a matter of fact, the song is very pro-life. Because a teenage girl decided to keep the baby. Her father, although he didn't say get an abortion, because he was a good Catholic, he was not happy about her being pregnant. And let's face it, like in real life, he probably would have helped her get an abortion because it's well, in real be, life, let's face it, he would have grabbed a gun and gone and found that guy and, and she had blown <laughs> his wanna, head off. Yeah, want to get real? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, yeah. So it was all these debates about the lyrical context, women's organizations, and others in flan family planning. Um, criticized her for having a positive anti-abortion message. Now, how are you mad because it's a positive, it's a positive anti-abortion message, and you guys are always screaming about no abortions, and then she writes a song that's on your side, and you're still mad about it just because it's Madonna. Well, yeah, because well, it's because they don't like it when people are fucking. Basically, basically. In, in the end, in the end, somebody's fucking, and that's not good. So because we're all supposed to get pregnant by immaculate conception. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, so there's that, and everybody knows it. So the cover by Kelly Osbourne from her album Shut Up in 2002. So the arrangement is this punky rock rave-up thing. Her vocal is run through some 
sound effect, which is annoying as hell and reminds me of the 90s. Right, well, maybe maybe about. the maybe she got some tips from PJ Harvey on how to find just the right mic, right, right microphone, and uh, it was produced. Okay, so she recorded it. They called it pop metal uh, with Incubus members. Incubus Ooh, members. That's edgy. Mike Enzinger on guitar, Jose Pasillas on drums, and it was produced by her brother Jack Osborne because we all know that he's a music impresario. Jack right. Osborne. He, well, he's he's a great producer. Yeah, because his father is Ozzy Osborne. Um, and it was on the soundtrack of MTV reality show Osborne's album, reduced as its debut single, as well as on her own album. So here's a little backstory. So it was later re-released in 2003 as Changes with her mm-hmm. and Ozzy doing the cover of the Sabbath song. Um, and then here's another weird little tidbit related to us here in New York City. Do you remember Teddy Kumpel? Yes. Okay. So there's a song on this album. Album. On this album. Just, just, just think, Al Jardine's a bum. On this record. <laughs> there, are, <laughs> there's, there are all these songs on this record, and one of them was co-written by Teddy Kumpel. Oh, Teddy Kumpel co-wrote one of the songs? Yes. I thought you were just going to say he played on the record. No, the song is called Come Dig Me Out, and he co-wrote it uh, with some woman. So that song that he co-wrote was planned as the third single from that record but the release was cancelled when Epic dropped her before they could release the third single well (laughs) finally a major label knows what to do (laughs) ta-da despite this it was picked as the coolest song of the week on June 6, 2004, on the syndicated Little Steven's Underground Garage Station Little Steven played that shit? yes Come on, Steven. What? Steven Van Zant. The fuck you doing over there, huh? Yeah, so only promotional copies exist in the ether. Um, so people who know about Teddy know that he's a guitarist and a singer-songwriter, and he's the guitarist and background vocalist for Joe Jackson. Um, I think that's Currently, his he has been for a couple years. A long yeah. time, yeah, that's his biggest gig. And he has a studio here in Brooklyn. I don't know where. Um, called uh, Compilicious Industries. Oh, so it's in, uh, it's off the Carroll Street train, so it's, what's that neighborhood over there? Oh, right. It's it's near the Rishi Rish. Um, Carroll Gardens. Carroll Gardens, yeah. So for 20 years, he's, over 20 years, he's been producing, recording, and mixing, and writing for labels, films, TV, independent artists, and bands. And uh, he went to the University of Miami School of Music. Well, well. Oh, so he's from Florida. I guess so. Oh, well, I guess that doesn't mess. Just because he went to school, that doesn't mean he's from there. He's but, from there but, but why would you go to Florida to go to school? The University of Miami School of Music. Like, that's where musicians go to learn? I, mean, I guess he couldn't get into Berkeley? I guess. Maybe he didn't have enough money. I don't know. It's weird. Well, I don't know. Who knows? But whatever. So that's an interesting little tidbit. All right. So we're going to listen to both versions of this. And Paul's going to pick his favorite. Oh, boy. What, what's it going to be? <laughs> I don't know.
the reverb, whatever it is on her mic. That weird. Well, sound. there's a little, there's a bit distortion. of, uh, there's a bit of distortion, and it's and it's it's like a canned distortion. It's yes. almost like, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's like a, it's that '90s sort of like, oh, we need it to sound edgy, so press the, the edgy <laughs> button, and it gives it that little bit of overdriven sound. But it isn't like a natural overdrive. It's a, it's a synthetic overdrive. Yeah, like it comes out of a, thing. Yeah, and. Uh, I don't know. That's you know, yeah, you know. That's what happens when rich kids try to pretend they're edgy. <laughs> you know, it's just you know. There you go. They, they have to have it manufactured for them. Yes. So uh, the winner is obviously Madonna. You know what? I. No secret here. I fucking hate Madonna with all of my ability to hate. Mm-hmm. But boy, am I handing that trophy to her. <laughs> boy, am I handing that trophy to her. I mean, by leaps and bounds. Yeah. It's like Mozart compared to that Kelly Osbourne yeah. shit. I mean. As much as I don't like, but that like that's a good song. Yeah, it is a you good know? song. And, and I mean, even her version is is good. I mean, I don't I don't hate that. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, True Blue. You know, it didn't exactly that album. It didn't exactly tank, but it was not as popular as their first two for sure. And this was the big hit off of it. And True Blue was also a single. Well, she had a bunch, and then uh, True Blue. Baby, well, there was also Luke to Tell and uh, Open Your Heart to Me, Baby. Like yeah. a half that half that album was hit singles, I think. How do you know this, Paul? Uh, well, you know, I just what? It's who, music shit. You know, it's it, it, it music shit. It just goes in and it doesn't go out. It's like I. <laughs> oh yeah. my god! This is the last thing I ever expected you to expound upon. Yeah, Madonna, you know. You think you know somebody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, so here's the last song, song number six, and it is called It's So Easy. And I have the original version by the Crickets, Buddy Holly. Um, and then the cover is by the one and only Linda Ronstadt. So the original, uh, you know, it's Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Written by Buddy Holly and Norman Petty. It was originally released as a single in 1958, uh, but it failed to chart. Can you believe that? It didn't even chart. You mean initially and then it did later, or it just simply didn't within Buddy's t- lifetime? It says it was originally released as a single in 1958 by the Crickets, but failed to chart. It was the final release by the Crickets when Holly was still in the band. So maybe interesting. After he went solo, maybe people started buying it because it didn't. Well, it probably became more popular after he died. That's probably what happened. Oh, definitely. Yeah, but it's a song that when people talk about Buddy Holly, this is not one of the first songs that they play. They play Peggy Sue. They play. Linda Ronstadt's version is definitely more famous. Yeah, for sure. So uh, she recorded it in 1977 for her record. See, I don't have to say that A word anymore. For her record. record. (laughs) LP? LP, Simple Dreams, which was produced by Peter Asher. And her recording was released as a single by Asylum Records in the autumn of that year. It hit the Billboard Top 5 simultaneously with her recording of Blue Bayou. It also reached number 9 in Canada and 11 in the UK. Uh, Her version was used in the 2005 movie Brokeback Mountain which some people may remember. Well, well. Yeah, it was during a very tender moment. 
Uh, Ronstadt has collaborated with artists in diverse genres, including Bette Midler, Billy, Billy, Ex, Billy Eckstein, Billy Eckstein, Frank Zappa, Carla Blay, Rosemary Clooney, Falco Jimenez, Philip Glass, Warren Zevon, Emmylou Harris, Graham Parsons, Dolly Parton, Neil Young, Paul Simon, Earl Scruggs, Johnny Cash, and Nelson Riddle. She has lent her voice to over 120 records <laughs> and has sold more than 100 million records, making her one of the world's best-selling artists of all time. Christopher Loudon of Jazz Times wrote in 2004 that Ronstadt's blessed with arguably the most sterling set of pipes of her generation. Um, so for people who don't know or hadn't thought about her kind of disappearing, she reduced her activity after the year 2000 when she felt her singing voice deteriorating, releasing her last full-length record in 2004 and performing her last live concert in 2009. She announced her retirement in 2011 and revealed shortly afterwards that she is no longer able to sing as a result of, degen of a de degenerative condition later determined to be progressive supranuclear palsy. Since then, She's continued to make public appearances, going on a number of public speaking tours in the 2010s. She published an autobiography, Simple Dreams, a musical memoir, in September of 2013. And people, if you haven't seen that documentary, Linda Ronstadt, The Sound of My Voice, which came out in 2019, run, don't walk to your living room and turn on Netflix or Hulu and find it and watch it. Because it is something else. And beware you are of gonna, the ending. I mean, get a box of Kleenex. Because you're going to need it. That's all I'm going to say about it. So, the Buddy Holly version, the Crickets version, it's the Crickets. It's... Yeah. Oh, I guess we, I guess we, have, to, we have to listen, listen to them. Listen to them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to listen to them first. It's so easy to fall in love. It's so easy to fall in love People tell me he loves for fools So here I go, breaking all of the rules It seems so easy, it seems so easy, it seems so easy Ooh, so doggone easy, doggone easy, doggone easy it seems so easy, seems so easy, seems so easy, seems so easy. Where you're concerned, my heart has learned. It's so easy to fall in love. It's so easy to fall in love. right up front all right so the crickets they're of a specific time and place and genre their songs pretty much all sound the same to me anyway 
And it's, you know, 1958. It's the beginning of rock and roll, so it's a little jittery, kind of. I don't know. How would you describe it? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 weird. I mean, I that the music of the, the rock and roll of the 50s a lot more of the country in the country ingredient of rock and roll is more uh it's more noticeable yes you know i feel like that's the the loss of that i think is what turns it into just rock but yeah. when it's rock and roll the the country element is kind of and i feel like that's buddy holly is not a country artist but that ingredient is noticeable in his in, music. Yeah, and rockabilly-ish. Rockabilly-ish, yeah. yeah. That whole but thing, Eddie Cochran-y, whatever. I would normally, I, th- I would normally give give it to Buddy Holly, you know, if you put his version of one of his songs up against somebody's cover, but yeah, I'm giving that to Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. Just because I, he has a lot of really great tracks, a lot of really great songs, but that one, that's a little bit that's one of his less exciting tracks, I would say. Yes, and I think this Linda Ronstadt version turns it into a song. It fl- the it fleshes it out, all the instrumentation, the vocals. Yeah. It's so it's I a mean, strong it's, arrangement. And it's you know the avocado mafia <laughs> right. uh, thing. So yeah, it like it makes you happy when you're hearing it. It's a little countryish because of the solo there. It's a little twangy. Well, she also adds a lot of oomph and a lot of life and a lot of soul in in the vocal. Yes. You know, uh, the Buddy Holly version's a little, you it's, know, just kind of kind of ordinary in, in its execution. Yes. And I think that it's kind of stiff. Stiff, I guess. There's a, yeah. Because it's 1958, yeah. and this is brand new, and they've still kind of unsure and can we do this are we allowed to do this right yeah no fully cut and loose yeah hasn't fully well i mean little richard fully cut loose so well. i mean it, it, it happened but <laughs> it happened in a very different way yeah yeah but dudes like him like uptight white dudes from texas good good country clean living people um yeah so yes linda ronstadt wins that hands down all right, so that is it for episode number 26. That was six songs. And boy, we ran the gamut from country to reggae to terrible to the Turtles. Isley Brothers, again. Yeah, it was good stuff. All right, well, thank you for listening, everybody. And uh, stay tuned for episode 27. We'll see you down the road. Happy motoring. Happy motoring.